0: Please uh, turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. We'll be looking at um, verses 12 to 14 this morning. But uh, I'm going to read uh, from verse 1 down to verse 14 uh, for the sake of context. So read along with me. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the mutilation, for we are the circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day, of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God upon faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it, or have already become perfect, but I press on, so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers, I do not consider myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at this passage, it in a sense is somewhat of a concluding statement of Paul's testimony or his uh, personal outlook and perspective on life. Help us to understand the implications and the applications of this passage. Open our minds to understand, our ears to hear, our heart to receive your word. Plant it deep in our hearts and minds. Help us to apply it to our lives. Help us to remember it. That we may grow further into conformity with Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen. One of the questions uh, most of us have heard, uh, usually when we're a child or a a teenager or sometimes even a young adult, and we've uh, repeated the same question uh, to either our peers or other children or young adults, um, the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? And uh, it's... We hear it a lot uh, amongst, you know, in the context of children in school, and um, some of us have even asked that question in uh, Sunday school to the kids, Um, and it's an important question. Uh, Sometimes we ask it so much to kids that it it just becomes lighthearted. We just want to hear, um, you know, their funny responses, Um, but that question um, becomes a bit more serious as you grow older and uh, especially in the teenage years or young adult years um, and particularly for those who still don't know and uh, I remember um, talking uh, in the military amongst some veterans or uh, and uh, people who are about to retire and uh, ask them what what are you going to do and they're like. Well, I'm still trying to figure out what I'll, what I want to do when I grow up, so I don't know. And then uh I remember uh speaking to one retiree in church and uh he's, he told me he's like, I finally get to do what I always wanted to do. He's like, be retired. <laughs> <he was> like... <laughs> but nonetheless that you know, question it um, confronts us. Confronts us with the purpose and meaning of life, our, our whole direction in life. And sometimes we hear it. Um, you know, we hear it in the in, in the popular culture or in the media. Um, one of the things that um, parents tell their kids or adults tell kids, uh, "You could be anything you want, anything you want," which is. Um, it sounds great, but it's a lie. <laughs> you know, it's a lie. You know, you tell uh, uh, a short, uncoordinated kid you can be anything you want, but, you know, we don't think about, you know, pro basketball player. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, and, and other things. One thing we say, you could be president if you want. And recently, our, our um, current president, um, I remember at his inauguration, and the media talking in hushed tones. Um, This is what he always wanted. (laughs) Uh, I I don't doubt that. Um, You know, uh, and uh, even, uh, you know, amongst politicians and, and, uh, you know, business leaders and and even um, famous people, celebrities, this is what they always wanted and they, they finally get it. And then, not long after they, they realize um, what they've gotten their selves, themselves into, um, It's interesting that even um, in, in there's this industry, industry of um, uh, life coaches, business and life coaches. and uh, I don't know how someone gets into that that line of work that they, they're just they're a professional motivator. And, and one of the things they do is, is they they teach and they, they motivate people to set goals and then work towards achieving them. The, the, the one thing that they always wanted to be, they, 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 they um, picture that and then they help these uh, CEOs and, and uh, uh, people who are um, very successful already to become even more successful and to reach their goals. And, and one of the things they do, um, one of the first things they do in helping people like that to reach their goal, to become what they always wanted to be, is they they work with them to create a personal mission statement. A personal mission statement that is concise, uh, usually just one sentence. It it may be a long sentence, but nonetheless, it's a concise statement that uh, encapsulates everything that they desire and want to be, that they picture themselves and as we come to this passage, this is, in a sense, the Apostle Paul's personal mission statement. He had uh, uh, come to, at the chapter 3, he's, he, he comes, at the beginning of chapter 3, he comes to uh, his uh, final instructions to the Philippians as he gives them this, this charge or this call to rejoice in the Lord. To uh, put no confidence in the flesh, uh, to, in a sense, uh, beware of false teachers who are trying to entrap them with a a, a works mindset or or call them back to uh, Old Testament Judaism uh, of trusting in themselves, of, of trusting in works. And he calls them to rejoice in the Lord. And then he gives this, this long, in a sense, a, a personal illustration or a personal testimony of his own life, saying if there was anyone who could put confidence in the flesh, it was him um, explaining or, or illustrating what it means to um, put no confidence in the flesh and to rejoice in the Lord. And then he comes to verse 12. And he, in a sense, he concludes this, this personal illustration with, with uh, what is somewhat his, his goal or his purpose in life. It, it's, it's more along the lines of a personal mission statement. And he says the same things over and over again in these few verses, but um, almost from a different perspective. And as we look at these few verses, we're going to see four aspects of Paul's personal mission statement, his purpose in life, his goal. And as most uh, mission statements uh, begin, personal mission statements, or should, uh, Paul begins with an assessment, a sober assessment of where he is. So first we'll see Paul's assessment of his life in verse 12 as he says to the Philippians, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect but I press on and and as he says obtained it that that draws us back to what he was talking about in the previous verse uh, striving to attain to the resurrection from the dead and and one could twist this to uh, promote uh, some sort of works based righteousness or or, um, uh, working out your your salvation, so to speak, or trusting in works. But Paul also says in in uh, uh, in Philippians uh, 2, uh, twelve that he calls the um, he calls the Philippians to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. And we are not saved by works, but nonetheless we are to. Uh, We are to bear fruit. And those who are saved will evidence their faith uh, through works, through bearing fruit. As even James said, uh, faith without works is dead. That's meaning uh, you're not saved by works, but only by faith. You're justified only by faith, but a faith that has no works is a dead faith. You're, in a sense, a, a false convert. Nonetheless, Paul is telling the Philippians that he's striving, he's working, he's living uh, for this goal of the resurrection from the dead. It. And he says in his personal assessment, in his sober assessment of his life, that he hasn't obtained it. He, ha- he has not obtained his goal. He has not obtained his goal and he has not become Perfect. Two aspects of his assessment. He he has not found what what he's he's looking for, so to speak. He has not um, reached it. He has not arrived. He has not become perfect. He has not obtained what he truly desires. To be raised from the dead, so to speak. To be raised from this uh, sin-cursed body and this sin-cursed world. To be glorified. To be glorified in the presence of His Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To be fully uh, made like Him and conformed to His image. This goal, this arises out of His heart. His heart to to know God and to see Him as He is. To come face to face with Him. As even uh, the Lord would say in the Old Testament... uh, to Moses, uh, no, one, no one can see my face and live because um, I, I, he's holy. He's holy, 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 and, and no sin can be in his presence. And yet, for those of us who have been born again, we desire to see him and to know him. And we're being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. As Asaph says in his psalm, uh, We see this in in many of the the Psalms, this heart to know God and to to see Him and to be with Him. Asaph says it in Psalm 73 and verse 25, Whom have I in heaven but you, and besides you I desire nothing on earth. David also in Psalm 16 and verse 11 says, You will make known to me the path of life, and your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. This this is the heart of a true believer or uh, a mature believer. That they desire God, they desire to be with God, to know God, to see Him face to face. Because everything else in this world, and, and even in ourselves, um, it, it's corrupt. Paul sees that he, he still lives in a sin-cursed world. He hasn't obtained what he wants. As far as he has advanced as a believer and as an apostle and as a missionary and as a church planter, all the things that he has done, um, even the, the the simple fact that he would he would tell the Corinthians, I knew a man who was caught up to the third heaven and, and saw things which are, one is not able to even express or explain. All the things that he has experienced, and yet he must... Come to the fact and, and, and admit that he hasn't obtained what he really wants. He still lives in a sin-cursed world. His, his, and his problems, just as yours, they, they, they don't go away when you're saved, when you come to faith. You still uh, live in a sin-cursed world. You still struggle with remaining sin. As he would testify in, in Romans 7, who will deliver me from this body of death? This tension that should be in the heart of of every believer. That you want to be holy. You want to be with God. You want to honor Him. But there's there's almost as if you're chained or there's weights holding you back. uh, This body of death, your own uh, remaining sinfulness. And so there's this internal struggle. Or there should be. If you're a believer, this internal struggle of fighting against sin and striving towards holiness to know the Lord and to honor him in thought, word, and deed. It's evidence of salvation. And Paul soberly assesses his life that he says he has not obtained his goal. He has not become perfect. He has not reached perfection. And this is uh, almost uh, refuting those uh, Judaizers or those false teachers that would, um, in a sense, allude to the fact that if you do X, Y, and Z, you can become perfect. You, You will arrive. But Paul testifies that perfection will only happen in glorification. Yet, at the same time, he's not content with less than perfect, though he doesn't have it. So we see this this tension. One commentator writes, The prize of salvation in its fullness has not yet been won. A point Paul emphasizes against ideas of perfectionism. Yet the saving process that will be consummated on the day of Christ and the resurrection from the dead has already begun. He's set on this course, as all believers are, of being conformed into the image of Christ. As he says in Philippians 1, 6, uh, He who began a good work in you will complete it, will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. That this hope that you will be sinless if you are in Christ. It it, it won't happen in this life, but you will be further conformed into the image of Christ. And there will be a day in which you will be completely saved from sin. Your sin. As many have said before, you are saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. You are, at the at conversion, you are saved from the penalty of sin. And then throughout your life in sanctification, you are being saved from the, the power of sin. That sin will not have dominion over you. And then finally, you will be saved from the presence of sin completely glorified in the presence of Jesus Christ. So Paul begins his personal mission statement with a sober assessment of his life, Paul's assessment of his life. And then second, the second aspect of Paul's personal mission statement is Paul's aim in life. He says, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on. So I may lay hold of that for which also, I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. He expresses his aim, his goal, what he is pressing towards to lay hold of something, to, to have it, and to have that thing for which he was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. This is what he pursues his goal and his purpose. His goal and his purpose, what he pursues. Um, and it's interesting, uh, some of these these uh, uh, verbs, as he says, I press on, and he will say that again in verse 14, I press on. But uh, the underlying uh, Greek verb, it, it brings something out. Um, as one commentator writes, the word translated press on, dioko, is the same word Paul used earlier to describe his persecution of the church. Uh, this, this verb could be translated... Um, in both ways, either to persecute or pursue uh, vigorously according to the context. This commentator goes on. He says Paul's old mindset was a single minded pursuit of persecuting the church. The new birth brought a new mindset, a single minded pursuit to know Christ and attain the resurrection. Paul describes this pursuit in humble terms, giving Jesus the credit even for Paul's pursuit of him. The underlying reason he can press on to make the resurrection his own is that Christ Jesus has already made Paul his own. The last phrase literally reads, because I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. And he goes on, he says, the Bible will not allow us to nurture a sense of independence. We love because he first loved us. We work because he works in us. We make the resurrection and knowing Christ our own because he has made Us, his own. Salvation is of the Lord and it begins with the Lord and it will be completed by the Lord. Nonetheless, we are called to work out our salvation and we are called to pursue holiness and Christ-likeness and to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. And this is Paul's aim. This is his goal. This is his purpose. To be conformed to the image of Christ. To be like Christ in in every way. in, In his personal actions and his behaviors, but also in his ministry. His ministry is, in a sense, uh, uh, living out uh, uh, the person and work of of Jesus Christ, of proclaiming this gospel, of going out to uh, 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 present this gospel to lost sinners, that they may be saved. And he's willing to endure suffering for it and persecution. This is why Christ, in a sense, snatched him as a brand from the fire. He, he um, in a sense, uh, uh, conveys this to Timothy in his last letter. As he, he, the last letter he writes while he's in prison, he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy, and he's trying to stir up Timothy and encourage him and, and, and give him, um, in a sense, uh, his, his last words, so to speak. He tells Timothy in, in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7, God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love. And self-discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of either the witness about our Lord or me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. And why? Why does he call Timothy to do this? Because he says this in verse 9. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been manifested by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who had abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. Now God has saved us through Christ and given us this holy calling to be Christ-like and to proclaim Christ and to spread his gospel that other sinners would be uh, uh, convicted and converted as well and be conformed into the image of Christ. This is Paul's aim in life. The third aspect of Paul's personal mission statement is this. We've seen Paul's assessment of his life, Paul's aim in life, and now we turn to Paul's ambition in life. Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. This is his ambition. His ambition in life, he is focused on one goal. He is not distracted. He is not deterred or diverted. He is not deceived by the world, the flesh, or the devil. He has one goal, one thing, one purpose, one destination which he is striving towards. And this is convicting for us, especially. Uh, it, it's convicting for all believers throughout the ages who have ever read this and considered um, the Apostle Paul his life. But, but more than that, because the Apostle Paul, as he says, it, it was not perfect, and so certainly he failed. He sinned. He 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 fell short. He the, the, there may have been times where he he was a bit off course, but he he uh, redirected himself. He corrected himself. But Nonetheless, he's focused on one goal, and, and and for us, you know, we live in an age. We live in the information age. We live in an age of distractions. You know, there are all our technology. You know, if it's not, you know, a cell phone, or, or you know, now we have uh, the uh, the Apple Watch and other companies that make a watch, and and all sorts of other technology that just calls and begs for our attention with uh, just dings and, and sounds and uh, uh, banners and all sorts of things. And then we have the internet and then we have radio and then we have billboards and, and all sorts of media that's just, just calling for our attention. Look at this. Buy this. You need this. You want this. You deserve this. And almost all of it, almost all of it is contrary to God, is from the world. There's a sense that you know, I, I, in my study, I, 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 on one hand, I'm thankful that um, I have, I live in a day and age where I can have access to books and great resources and Uh, sermons um, from great preachers and uh, I mean I just saw the other day this this one website um, where I went to to in a sense build my digital library uh, monergism.com where I get a lot of free Kindle books and you can just click in a thousand books from great Puritan pastors and just download it right there And, and and I have access to that. I have resources at my fingertips which, which uh, you know, uh, pastors throughout the ages had, had not had. I have all these blessings of this age. Um, uh, Bible software. As um, is, is, uh, one preacher said, you know, if, if you don't grow as a Christian in this age, you're just being lazy. You're just being late because you have access to so much good teaching and resources. But the flip side to that is that there's everything else that comes with our technology, all the distractions. And, and so even, even our attention span, as many uh, sociologists and, and even uh, Christians and believers would say, our attention span is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. It's it's even hard for believers to to sit through a long sermon, or and just your your mind is going all over the place because in a sense we're being trained through our technology to have a short attention span and to be distracted. And I wonder, you know, what it would be like to, in a sense, sometimes be a Puritan pastor, who, or or someone even before radio who didn't have all these distractions and, and could just have a peace of mind and just think clearly. Paul is, you know, he, he has that benefit in a sense of, of living in, the, in that time and age, but nonetheless, he's still focused on one goal and, and I would venture to say if, if he lived in our day and age, yes, it, it might have been harder, but he would still be determined Focused uh, to to cut out those distractions, to uh, put up ad blockers, and, and and guard his time carefully, so that, that he would not be deterred from this one goal which he desires. That that he would not, uh, as we often do, we forsake the great for the good. There's so many good things we can do in the Christian life. But there's only a few great things. And we can even be uh, diverted, distracted, deceived into forsaking the greatest things for things that are still good but are lesser than. And so this calls for great discernment to, to prioritize our lives according to what's most important. And as Paul says, the most important thing is to be like Christ, to be conformed into his image, and to make him known. And he strives towards that goal. He strives towards that goal by facilitating reaching that goal. He is focused on one goal, and then second, he facilitates reaching that goal. He facilitates reaching that goal in everything in his life by forgetting what lies behind... And reaching forward to what lies ahead, he, in a sense, uh, leaves the past in the past. And this is this is convicting for me. It is probably should be convicting for most of us. Uh, and many of us, um, I would dare say, all of us have a past that we're not, um, uh, you know, we're not proud of, uh, full of sin and regret or. Even foolishness. And certainly some of us, we have pasts or past life that's better than others. Um, but nonetheless, our past is in the past. And the only thing we can, we can uh, do from the past, with the past is learn from it. But the more we dwell on it, 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 it hinders us. It hinders us from moving forward. And especially in the Christian life, especially if we have a really sinful past, then we're prone to to say, well, woe is me. I'm a second-rate Christian. I'll never achieve or I'll never be worthy like that other Christian or that other believer who did not have the sinful past that I had. And there is a sense that, that yes... Um, because our past does impact our present and our future and can, in a sense, uh, hinder us from, from doing certain things. Uh, you know, you think of of school, and, uh, you know, if, if you did really horrible in in uh, elementary or, or high school, that would hinder you, or even were a dropout, that might hinder you from further schooling in college or whatever. Um, and the same is in a sense uh, true for, uh, say, people who have uh, been in prison and are convicts, and and even if they are believers, that their past still hinders them from certain employment. But in terms of our own uh, sins... If we are in Christ, we have to remind ourselves often that all of our sins are forgiven. They're 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 thrown into the depths of the sea, uh, as as far as the east is from the west. So far as He removed our sins from us, and 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 we are forgiven. And yes, we are to grow in holiness. and, And sometimes we have we have decades of of sinful habits that need to be undone. Nonetheless, those sins are forgiven. And if we dwell on those past sins, it will hinder us in the present. This is a picture of, you know, there's there's a few illustrations. And Paul alludes to the main one of a runner here, as he does in other passages. And a runner cannot successfully run looking over their shoulder. There's been, you know, you look at sports history and the history of of track and field or even in the Olympics there, there's illustrations of this happening where a runner loses the, the race because they looked over their shoulder and they either stumbled and fell or they just in looking over their shoulder they slowed down just enough for that next runner to come up and pass them up or, or if the, the analogy or the illustration of runners doesn't work for you this is another illustration I have used in counseling to others is is driving. You can't successfully drive forward if you're constantly looking in the rear view mirror, or if you're dwelling in the rear view mirror, you're gonna crash. <laughs> you you can't you can't drive like that. You have to live your life moving forward, looking forward, dwelling on what lies ahead, striving towards it. And Paul doesn't dwell on his failures. And also, in a more positive sense, in a negative sense, he doesn't dwell on his failures, but in a positive sense, and, and this isn't probably most of us, but for Apostle Paul, in a positive sense, he doesn't dwell on his successes. As if I've done X, Y, and Z, so I've arrived. And we can clearly see this in this passage as you know, the Judaizers are tempting the believers, and he's refuting them, saying, if anybody could put confidence in the flesh, I, I more so, I farm more than anybody else. But he doesn't. But even for a, a believer, and especially, I have to watch this, as a pastor, or, and especially for those um, who have, have done great Christian works, uh, pastoring, being a missionary, or even an author, or speaking at conferences, for, for them as well, the same is true. They, they can't rest on that. They can't trust in that. They have to continue to look forward and to strive forward and to strain forward. And this verb that he, he, he underlies this uh, reaching forward or straining forward or striving forward. It, it's, it, it, it explains a, a straining of every muscle and, and all energy, maximum effort. It makes me think of um you know this is this scene, which is in so many t v shows and movies where you have the the person and, and their the the hero or or whatever or you know they're running from the 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 enemy or whatever, and somehow they lose their sword or their gun or their knife or whatever it is, and there it is, and it's just within reach, and they're just uh, and it, And in Star Wars, they use the force to draw it towards them. But Nonetheless, that's the picture of Paul striving towards a goal. And the goal is Christ-likeness. And and not only is that his personal goal and mission statement, but that's his his philosophy of ministry. It's why he does what he does in terms of ministry. As he tells the Colossians in Colossians 1.28, Him we proclaim... Admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that the purpose, the purpose statement, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. So that every person would be complete in Christ, Christ Christ-like, built up in Christ, conformed to his image. And then he goes on in verse 29 of Colossians 1 saying, For this purpose I also labor, striving according to his working, which he works in me, in power. That as he tells the Philippians, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. We understand that we are to work, but God is also working in us. The Holy Spirit resides in us, equipping us, uh, transforming us, compelling us, giving that power and energy to be Christ like. And so we see in this passage of Paul's personal mission statement, Paul's assessment of his life, Paul's aim in life, Paul's ambition in life. And then finally, the final aspect of Paul's personal mission statement is Paul's aspiration for his life, what he aspires to. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is what he aspires to, what he desires. Everything to win the prize and to obey the call. To win the prize and to obey the call. That there, there is a prize, there is a reward, there is a goal that he's striving towards. This, this uh, noun, goal, Greek skapos, as one commentator writes, could also refer to the finish line in a race or an archery target. It, is too, it could mean either one, a, a, a finish line or the, the target. And he goes on, he says, Paul's life is purposeful, for he constantly aims toward a heavenly goal. The prize is a fullness of blessings and rewards in the age to come, most especially being in perfect fellowship with Christ forever. This is what he aims his life at, and this is what he proclaims to others, to other believers, to set their sights on, to set their goal upon, to run towards, to aim for this goal. And yes, we stumble, we fall, we deal with our own remaining sin. But it's interesting, you know, um, even in, uh, in uh, football, um, they tell running backs just, uh, when, when you get the ball or you catch the ball for receivers, you, you focus on the end zone. You don't focus on the people around you or the people behind you. You focus on the end zone and you run towards it. And there is a sense that as a coaches, good coaches will tell the players and players will see it, if they are indeed focusing on the goal, on the end zone, even if they get tackled, they will fall in that direction. This is the goal of the, the Christian, to pursue Christ-likeness and to think about it and to dwell upon it and to do so much that, that even when you stumble, you, you fall in the right direction, you pick yourself up and you, you get up and you get back at it. You set your, your heart and your mind and your affection on things above and not on things below, as Paul uh, says in Colossians 3, because that's where your life is. Uh, you know, your, your, your hope, your joy, your peace is, is not found in the things of this world. It's all temporary. It's found in heaven with, with Christ, and that's what we are to live for. Paul uses this, this uh, same running illustration to the Corinthians, as he says in 1 Corinthians 9. The passage which at one point, I have memorized, and, and it's a passage, interestingly enough, I, I think of almost every time I run. Um, so 1 Corinthians 9, 24, he's, he tells the Corinthians, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? It's like, sometimes we skip over that, but, you know, it, it's kind of like, well, duh, but nonetheless, we got everybody who runs in a race all run. You know, if you're in the race, you have to run. You, you don't get to sit on the sidelines. You have to run. But only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. In, in other words, you're going to run anyways. You're in the race anyways. You might as well run like you're going to win. You might as well try to win. Uh, is you know, some of this, we, we hear this in um, our our culture nowadays, uh, uh, you know, um, especially with kids in sports, you know. It, it's just... You know, you're not here, you just, the goal is to have fun. He's like, no, the goal is to win. You're here to win the game, and and pursuing that goal to win, that's where you find your fun, is actually playing the game and running the race. He goes on in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 25, now everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. In, in a sense, uh, not like a shadow boxer. I, 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 I punch to hit. I, I run to uh, win. I, I exercise self-control in all things. And, and even, you know, we, we could look at it and see it more clearly in our day and age. But um, you know, Paul lived where and especially in, in Corinth they, they had the Isthmian games this is where the, the Olympic games the, the, the games the, and, and all the arenas and, and it wasn't just the big games like in, in Rome or even in Corinth but any sizable city had um, had an arena or an, uh, a place where games there'd be theater but there'd be games and there'd be running and there be athletes, and, and Paul could observe that, I and mean, he did observe the athletes, not just in the games, but their lifestyle and training. How they exercise self-control. There's, there's certain things they eat and certain things they don't eat. There's a, a certain amount of, of sleep they get at night, and, and they, they, they guard that time. They, they, they order their lives all around just for this one event to win this prize which Paul says is corruptible. It fades away. Uh, and uh, He says a corruptible crown that, you know, when we see the image, the, the leaves around the, you know, the statues, that, that's what they win. Yeah, it's a symbol of something greater, that they did win something. They won the race. But nonetheless, Paul says that's corruptible. It fades away. It's, it's, you know, and, and even if it was, uh, like our day and age, a gold medal, which isn't pure gold all the way, but even if it was something precious, Eventually, that's going to fade away with time. You, you don't get to take it into eternity. But nonetheless, you know, we're all in a race and we're to, to run as, as to win the prize. And it's easy to, to look at, at one another and compare yourself to one another, and that's not how we're supposed to run because we've all get, been given certain giftings, certain opportunities, certain abilities. And then there's also seasons of life and circumstance. We all have our own circumstances. And, and we we are to be faithful in those circumstances, not comparing ourselves with one another, but comparing ourselves with Christ, who is our goal. You know, it's interesting, this, this same illustration of, of running the race, it, it, it reminds me of another illustration um, a, a pastor has used um, concerning sanctification. Um if, you're, if you are um, familiar with airports and, and flying, you, you see these as you're going, especially in the big airports. You have these, these trams, these tracks, these um, kind of like uh, conveyor belts to help you move along. And, and, and they're great. It's great to help move people along. And there's, there's a few different ways you could look at this conveyor belt. As I look at it, it's like, great, I can walk. Faster. And so I get on there, and I can, I can walk, and, and I, get, I move faster. But then some people are like, great, I don't have to walk. This thing will just carry me along, and I can just rest here. And, and, and then even as once I saw, as I'm trying to walk, because I have the opportunity to move faster, and I run into a person who's just sitting. They're, they're not even standing. They just decided to sit down. And block the way from other people who are trying to walk. And then one time I remember seeing, and this, can, this almost convicted me, and, and I was surprised. I saw a person running. And they're trying to catch it, and they're like, great, I can run faster. And I don't know what they did when they stopped, but no, they're running on the thing. This is, in a sense, Paul. And it's a good picture of the Christian life because you will be conformed to the image of Christ. The Holy Spirit will convict you. They will, God will complete the work in you. But it would behoove you to also work as well because you'll get closer to the goal. And you're even commanded to do that. This is what Paul is talking about. He, he runs to win the prize. He aspires for the prize and, and also to obey the call. He understands that there is a calling, that he's been called. And sometimes we, we think of that term calling in terms of, of pastoral ministry or a missionary, that they're called. And I'm thankful that there's many pastors and even writers who are writing against that. That's, that's not really found in Scripture. There is a sense that God providentially appoints pastors and he gifts them. But in, in our Christian culture, we've almost mystified that. But the calling, when, when the New Testament speaks of calling, it, it speaks primarily to the salvific call or the calling to Christ-likeness. As every, every believer is called. There is a calling for every believer. Paul explains this as he writes to the Thessalonians, uh, which was, you know, some say one of his favorite churches um, he speaks very highly of Thessalonians. and In 2 Thessalonians 2, he says this in verse 13, But we should always give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you as the first fruits for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. It was for this he called you through our gospel that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every believer is called. You're you're, you're called to holiness. There is a calling. There is a calling to strive and to be Christ-like. It's a reason why why Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners and to conform them into his image, to remake them, to redeem them. The Greek scholar A.T. Robertson, he says this, which is interesting. He says, of the upward calling, the goal continually moves forward as we press on, but never out of sight. And so there's a sense, that, as he's saying, we, we never arrive. We're continually moving forward in this day and age. There's, a, there, there's, there's only one arrival point for the believer, and that's when we die, and when we are actually resurrected, and when we are with the Lord in His presence That's our goal. That's Paul's goal. We, we read this through this passage, and, and this, this passage, these few verses, are, are very convicting. And there is a t- temptation here, I think, for many believers in, in, in looking at these passages and reflecting upon the life of the Apostle Paul. You, you might be tempted to say, well, you know what, that makes sense for him. It makes sense for the Apostle Paul to have that perspective on his life and, and, and to live how he lived. But you know what? I'm not an apostle. I'm not an apostle, nor am I a missionary or a pastor or an evangelist. I'm, I'm not a super Christian. I'm not an elite. I'll, I'll never be that person. And so, you know, that's for him. It, it, it's, it's not so much for me because I'm just a normal, everyday, run in the mill believer. You know, I I try to be holy, I serve my church, I give, I pray, I read my Bible. You know, I, I, I don't see this. But Paul, in verse 15, says, Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, think this way. And if in anything you think differently, God will reveal that also to you and saying oh, everyone's supposed to think this way, that, that we're supposed to press on, to lay hold of that for which we have been laid hold of. We are to press on toward the goal. And, and we do that, not so much like the Apostle Paul, because none of us are like him at all. He was lived in a day and age and was given a specific gifting and an office. And even in our day and age, there's... Different levels of giftings, and there's providence and there's circumstances, but nonetheless, we are to press on, we are to lay hold of that for which we have been laid hold of, not so much by what we do, but how we do it, how you live where you're at, by progressively putting off sinful behaviors and habits, and putting on righteousness and Christ-like behaviors and habits. We, we press on by uh, you know, not being rude but being nice, not being selfish but being selfless, not um, being lazy but being a hard worker and, and all sorts of other uh, specific sin issues or struggles that we all struggle with we press on by focusing on those areas in our lives where we need to grow and there's one. There's only one arrival point, as Jesus would say, um, you know, he who is faithful in little will be faithful in much. And too often in the Christian life, we, we can think of the big things. The, the, I'll do something great for God, or I'll I'll do this this great thing in church, or whatever. And and we tend to overlook the little things in the day to day interactions, and in our day to day activities, and life, and 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 the 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 what jerry bridges would say the respectable sins that we need to strive and, and it's often those quote unquote respectable sins that seem to be the hardest of being impatient or irritable or rude or selfish that you know that call for a striving to put off and to put on those righteous behaviors Apostle John, he, he writes his letter of uh, 1 John, we know as 1 John, his first letter. Um, he writes this letter to believers who are struggling with assurance, whether or not they are actually in the faith. And he gives these series of tests to figure out whether or not to examine yourself, to figure out whether or not you're in the faith. The first test is the doctrinal test are, are you believing in Jesus Christ as? as risen from the dead, as uh, uh, taking on human flesh? Are you you believing in the biblical Christ? And then uh, are you confessing your sins? Uh, And and do you love one another? He goes through these tests and he goes back over and over again to help believers to uh, use these tests to test themselves, to examine themselves. And and one such test he gives in in, uh, chapter 3 of 1 John in verses 2 to 3. And he says to his readers, Beloved, Now, we are children of God, and it has not been manifested as yet what we will be. We know that when He is manifested, we will be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies himself just as He is pure. One test that you're in the faith and that you belong to Jesus Christ is your desire to be like him and your striving for holiness and your desire to be pure and righteous as he is righteous and pure. And if that's not there in your life, then you need to question yourselves whether or not you are truly in the faith. As, as many struggling believers will come to pastors and people for counsel and they'll say, I'm struggling with X, Y, and Z, and I'm just burdened with sin, and, and I have all these sins and, and, and behaviors, and I'm, I'm, I'm fighting them, but I'm not even sure, like, like, if I'm a believer, why would I struggle with all these things? And the answer is, well, if you're struggling, if you're fighting, then that's evidence you are a believer because you're in the fight. An unbeliever wouldn't care. They just care about what their reputation and what other people think about them. They, they just don't want to get caught and don't want to uh, suffer the consequences of their sin. But a true believer cares about what's on the inside, their heart, their attitude, their thoughts. They want to honor Christ in the secret areas of their life which no one but Christ sees. And so that's a question we have to ask ourselves. Are we in the fight are we in the race and if we are then there's comfort and encouragement but there's also conviction that we are to continue in that race and run the race that has been set before us and live worthy of the calling to which we have been called and not to just sit down on the sidelines you know i've uh, spoken with uh, many of believers in, in in hospice in a hospice situation people True believers who are bed-bound, who don't know how much longer they have to live, and it it might be six months, it might be a year, it might be two years. They, They don't know for sure. But they're concerned that, number one, they lost their independence, but number two, that they can't go to church, and then number three, that they can no longer serve, or so they think. But I always would tell them. Well, you can serve in probably one of the greatest areas of service and that's in prayer you can still pray and we need your prayers you can always do something we all have various circumstances and hindrances but we can always do something and are you striving to do something and to serve and to be Christ like do you desire him do you want him Do you know him and do you want to know him more? That's the question. Heavenly Father, we thank you. For most of us here, we have been called. We were, in a sense, running our own race, living our own way, going towards our own goals. And you, like with the Apostle Paul, interrupted our race. You redirected us. You, you told us to stop running that way and run this way towards Christ. And though for most of us, we, we want to run that way and we want to be like Christ, we still stumble, we still fail, we still fall, we still deal with besetting sins, with old sinful habits, with uh, foolishness. And for some of us, it's our circumstances, uh, e- either um, our failing health or relationship issues or... Um, Our job ish issues or whatever it may be which seems to hinder us and slow us down in the race. Lord help us to see first and foremost that we are in a race and we are to run and help us to see those areas in our life which we can change to run faster and more efficiently and for those of us who here who are unsure or are not in the race, please convict them, please guide them, please call them to your side. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for this calling to which we have been called. Help us to walk in a manner worthy of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.